Hi everybody and welcome to my podcast on cracking the code into the pharmaceutical industry. My name is Lizzie and I have recently graduated with a Masters of Neuroscience. If like me you're looking to step out of academia and into the pharmaceutical industry, then this podcast is for you. I'll be speaking with experts in roles within the industry, science graduates who have made it as well as specialist recruiters for their top tips. Does this sound interesting? Then just hit play and let's get into it. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, my guest on the podcast today is Maurice Zultak. So Maurice has over 30 years experience in the pharmaceutical industry. He started off as a doctor specializing in dermatology. He then went on to working in the pharmaceutical industry, companies such as CROs. Now, if you have no idea what this is, don't worry, we will be going into more detail as to what it is. Um, These companies were Roche, IQVA, Actelion, which has now um, or since been acquired by Johnson & Johnson. So Maurice, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank thank you for for your welcome and looking forward to exchanging with you, Lizzie. It's a great opportunity. It is. So as I mentioned previously, you started out as a doctor and then you went into the pharmaceutical industry. Was this difficult to transfer from the very medical into the industry? Let me try to think about that, because as you just mentioned, this was more than 30 <laughs> years ago. I would say it as a transfer physically was, logistically was easy, because coming from a, a hospital, a, university, a public hospital, what I was amazed is how, how easy all the technical and material aspects were because it was a big company at Roche and they took care of everything. So everything which used to uh, take about 30, 50% of my time solving problem, everything was done. So it was wonderful. All I had could sit at my desk and do my job. So this was wonderful. On the other hand, as I just mentioned, I came from an environment when I, I had to do 10 things at the same time. In the hospital, I had to take care to think at the same time of the inpatient, of the outpatient, of the operation theater, I had of the students of preparing uh, uh, student teaching, of uh, training residents, and between all of these, finding the time to write a few articles. And there, all I had to do is the last thing. All I had to do is think and write, answer a few phone calls. So at the beginning, I remember the most difficult thing for me was just to stay at my desk (laughs) and not to have to stretch my leg after one hour. And did you have um, did you have a lot of transferable skills that you developed as a doctor, and then going into that you can then you could then use in the industry? Yeah, that's interesting. Actually, when I when I started, it was a little in terms of responsibilities. It was a little bit a move backward. What I mean is. In, in the hospital university setting, I was say semi senior because I already had responsibilities. I, I had to manage a team, etc. And then I was back almost at the start case, uh, meaning that so I had to learn my job in the pharma industry, and so my skills. The reason I was hired for 
was my technical, scientific, medical knowledge, especially okay. as a dermatologist. So my transferable skills was my clinical skill. When I grew up within the industry, and of course I had more responsibilities to manage projects, to manage people, to uh, address crisis situation. Yes, then a lot of my previous skills came back, how to make people grow by giving them responsibilities, by asking mm. them questions, by asking them, what do you think, what would you do uh, in terms of, of crisis management? And of course, after a while, I was back to this multitasking. <laughs> which I described and which I was so happy to escape. Of course, it, it caught up with me. And then, of course, the same skill, finding out what is, what is urgent, what can create, what is urgent and important, etc. When Even when it's absolutely urgent, how to find a few minutes to mm. nevertheless think, not just to rush to what is obvious. So all the things you have learned during your, not only as a yeah. dermatologist, but at medical school, in hospital, in emergency room. CRO, what, tell us a bit about what a, what a CRO is, um, what does it even mean, and what are some of the roles that you can find within a company that is a CRO? Yeah, no, CRO stands for Contract Research Organization. And basically, it, they are the subcontractor for the R&D functions of the pharma industry. They have developed a, a lot over the last, over the last 30 years, basically. They already existed when I joined. But uh, they grew. The percentage of work which they do for pharma grew. The type of work, the level of responsibility also grew. So they can clearly interfere with the pharma industry at all levels in research, a lot of uh, experiment, but also a lot of, the, for example, in chemistry, a lot of the synthesis of new compound is uh, delegated the manufacturing, the pharmaceutical formulation. In that case, the, the word is a contract manufacturing organization, CMO, but it's the same thing. They, they are also active on the commercial side and many companies have a medical representative which are basically hired for a project by pharma companies. This exists. I am more familiar both from the client but also from the operating side with what CRO do for the development. And for, de for development, they initially they, they were higher hand, so you needed more monitors, more CRA, an extra statistician, more data management. The CRO was providing the people. Now, in, in many cases, you, you, uh, the company just contracts out the project, the protocol, or not even the full protocol, and CRO does the full job. So basically select the sites, uh, uh, does the, the submission, recruit, uh, take care of the recruitment, of the quality with the monitoring, the analysis, the data entry, data management. More, nowadays, of course, is many, many cases done locally with remote data entry, statistics, 
uh, and medical writing and even sometimes integration to prepare a submission. So all of these tasks can be done and are nowadays done by the CRO. I don't know the exact uh, statistics, which percentage of the work is outsourced, but top of my head, I would say it's now 50%. The main difference at the beginning, when I started, CRO were used when there was really no, no way around, no resources, etc. Now they're already part of the plan, and I would say there is no company, as far as I know, which would do everything in-house. Small, and of course, you have had more and more small companies start out biotech, and basically, the last thing they want is to hire a large workforce for one to project. So often, this company work hundred percent with CRO because they they just don't have the choice, and it's, it's not what the investors want their money to go into. So, if if a company is working hundred percent with a CRO, does that mean it's a very it's a really big contract? Is it only based on contractual work or is it a partnership or is it just based on the project, what the company needs? I would say everything is possible, but large, many large pharmaceutical companies have large uh, partnership contract with Big Zero. That's quite common, and they have, which means that there is a commitment from both sides to provide uh, that much, that amount of work, to outsource such amount of work, and there is in uh, contrast, a commitment from the CRO to have that many, that amount of workforce available to the company. So this is a partnership. Otherwise, it's on the contract per contract basis. Some other companies have have a piece of work, and then okay. they uh, there is a bidding process. As they ask a couple of companies to bid for the process and the one which they they which is selected does the job. In general this are the two ways. Either you have a specific bidding for a piece of work or you have a long term multi year partnership. And as I say this is my my recollection and understandings. There may have been even other type of partnership which have developed risk sharing, okay. etc. But okay. clearly, I am not qualified to talk about it because I've never experienced it firsthand. Over the years, what roles have you seen arrive in the industry? You're talking about CRO or you're talking about uh, ph- uh, pharmacide? Just generally, in your career, have you seen roles that have been created over the years because of a, a certain need? Yes, definitely. The role which has evolved, and even the names, the terms is evolved, is clearly, when I started, the important thing was to get the drug approved. Now, clearly, it is important to have it approved and reimbursed with by the insurance company and reimbursed with a price which uh, allow to compensate the cost of development. As you know, uh, developing a drug may cost close up to even above $1 billion uh, or euros. So this role is to, to demonstrate the value, the medical value, but also 
the economic values of the drug of the improvement. And you have had uh, this function has also changed names called, I remember when it started, it was pharmacoeconomics, health economic, health technology as assessment, outcome research. And of course, this was close connected with another role, which is, which evolved from epidemiology, which is real world evidence, is something which RWE would not have meant anything uh, 30 years ago. And of course, well, you have something connected to it, of course, is really patient centricity, talking and interacting with prescribers, with doctors, but also patients and the, all the patient advocacy role. Uh, in terms of interaction with the prescriber, in my when I started, there was only medical representative. Clearly, this role has evolved, and now you many company have medical science liaison, whose role is more to develop and enrich a scientific and medical exchange with the physicians who uh, deal with the drug. Um, As, as a result of what we just talked, you see the development of outsourcing, outcontracting, of clearly CRO manager, uh, alliance manager, external contractor have, have increased, and of course mm. all the IT related jobs, information, artificial intelligence, and etc. apart from um, roles within a in the pharmaceutical industry, what have been throughout your career, some big changes sort of globally within the industry? When I started, and as, as I mentioned, I started with a very large pharmaceutical organization. What impressed me is how integrated this organization, all the roles and function which existed. And the company also, the objective was to control and to take ownership of every step from the discovery, from the even the pre-discovery, the science, the ID, which would lead to discovery until the drug is uh, presented and distributed mm -hmm. and introduced to the prescribers and come to the patient. And clearly this vision of one pillar, you see, going from the lab, uh, from bench to bed, as you say, has exploded. Everything, everything is, it, it, it has changed into a constellation. And at every level, you have basically interaction with the external world. So the company can no longer, is no longer a silo, but it's, a, I would say, a web, <laughs> clearly. So uh, I, I, we already talk about outcontracting, outsourcing, Uh, during development, that's the role of the CRO, but clearly also the drug discovery, so all the step uh, prior to a drug being tested in humans are also a result of numerous interaction. A basic risk, as I say, the, the, the chemistry, when I started, there was only chemistry, the biotech, the say, biological started a few years later, but chemistry can now be, be outstored. Formulation development is outstored. Manufacture is 90% is outsourced to, to large CMO. First, it was the chemistry, but now biological also are, are 
are, they accompany which have the capacity to produce high-quality biological. Also, the innovation, the drug discovery. Nowadays, I would say more than 50% of the drugs which are marketed, which are approved by pharma company, come from outside. They come from a, a smaller company, larger company, from university, and this is all what I've been exposed in my last role, business development and licensing. And many companies, if ever function, actually something I could have mentioned earlier, is external discovery, external science, external development, identifying, nurturing, developing links with external company and then which can result in partnership, licensing, acquisition, buying another company, etc., buying a product. So this has been the major changes, say from a silo to a web. Now, slightly changing topics, I'd like to talk about um, the hiring, a hiring process. You had, yeah. you were once a, a hiring manager throughout your, your career. When you were trying to find someone for a new role, apart from the experience, past experience and the skills, technical skills that were necessary for this role, what else did you look for in a candidate? I think that's also a good question. It relates a little bit with what I talk about my own progression. You see, from I was hired mostly from my technical skill and then when I grew I realized that other skills were at least as important and it's the same it's the same thing when when I started to hire I just wanted somebody with whom I could share part of the job etc and once of course after two three hire you had you no longer have subordinate you have a team and what's important is who can grow the team can help, can do the job, but also help the people, uh, the other people grow, add value, so that one plus one is is not only two, but two comma five or three four etc. So create really a team. And then clearly, is this other soft skill? Yes, absolutely. So the for me it was the ability to to learn, the ability to deal with unknown, with uncertainty to juggle priority sometimes is to people who came from a different environment people who came from uh, once i hired someone who came from the consumer industry he had, he had not worked in pharma but he came from oral care you see toothpaste and the like but it's ju- just to to have something uh, different approach different skill etc and those those skills you mentioned were you able to identify those during an interview for example Yes, I, 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 I make mistake. I make the wrong hires. I'm not wrong people. But sometimes I, some, I, I made one or two mistakes because people, yeah, usually they didn't fit with the skills. Sometimes they, they had all the skills. They liked uncertainties. They like uh, complicated situations. They like to do things that they have never learned to do before. But eventually mm. they didn't like it. And so, they came. They went back to a more comfortable environment. This happened, but yes, in my experience, the only way is to do a structured interview, to ask questions, to do a team interview, yeah. to debrief. In common, most of the hiring at that time was was not my hire, but the team hires. And I suppose it's also 
a bit of a risk because it's very easy for someone to say, I enjoy doing this, this and this. And you think, oh, great. But when they actually get into the role, you realize that no, actually, well, they may enjoy it, but they're not very good at it. So there's a certain risk I see when you when you you're hiring someone and in that interview, you never quite know until they've actually started in the role. And then you can really see for yourself if they're a good fit or not. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, as I say, I would say retrospectively, there were 10% of uh, wrong hire, of misfits. This, this this happened, but I think it's worth it's it's worth the risk. What you do to me, what I used to do to minimize. Of course, I didn't have artificial intelligence to help me decipher the CV and what see what's what's right and wrong. So you ask a practical example. You ask a different opinion. You ask what would you do if you were in this and this situation, and this is how it works. I've noticed that quite a few professionals who have worked a number of years, nearly all their career in the industry, decide to then go off on their own and create a consulting company. For example, like yourself, you you created Zoltac Consulting. Is there, I mean, obviously you can't answer for everybody, but with your insight, do you think there's a particular reason for this or is it just really a, a personal, a very personal choice? I think that they would fall into three groups. First are the people by myself who have reached or even reached retirement but want to be kept active for many reasons. And that's my case. But you have other people who... At, I would say at a young, even younger age, uh, decide that they no longer they have they have a level of expertise and they know that they, they no longer need a large organization around them to find work. They no longer want to have a manager, but also they don't want to manage people. They just want to do the work and to have to be able to have some level of choice and uh, influence on the way they want to work. And these people decide to be, I would call them the lone ranger. They decide that they have the lone cowboys. They, they decide to, they will work on their own and for the company. And I know quite a few people in the, uh, I have an old friend, American friend, whom actually I'm going to meet this weekend because he, he, he has a meeting in Germany. Uh, I have somebody who works in uh, quality insurance and she decided she would work on her own. And you have the, the last uh, brand, which is the entrepreneur, the company, the, the organization builder. So, so this one, they no longer want to have a boss, but they, they want to really keep working and building and growing organization. And I have had some people who have been quite successful. They started, uh, as I say, as a lone ranger, but now they've heard of uh, hundreds of, uh, of people working for them in, uh, or they build a, a real CRO. Now, my last question for you is what advice can you give to graduates who are looking to get into the industry? I would say is have a goal. I mean, the goal is not only to get, of course, if you have to get into industry, but to get into the industry for some reason. 
I remember, actually, I didn't want to go into the industry. I didn't get to tell you the detail, but if I was uh, I was more looking for to pursue clinical activities, private practice, hospital, etc. And by chance, I met an old friend of mine who had moved to pharma industry earlier, and he told me that his company was looking for dermatologists. And at that time. Uh, I was very much frustrated as a practicing dermatologist because there are so few uh, drugs available in comparison with other uh, specialty, with gastroenterology, cardiology, etc. So I think it's so great to have the opportunity to 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 find, to discover, to develop new drugs. Interestingly, it uh, new drug in dermatology really appeared in the last 10 years where they moved away from the specialty. But eventually, I would say, there has been a change. So I say, have a reason, a vocation, never ever give up. But of course, at the same time, become flexible. The Germans ever say, say, at some point, the road becomes a goal. So be also aware that if you, you by pursuing this goal, you may develop some skills, you may develop some interest, you may encounter some of opportunities, and of course, don't hesitate to say them, to take advantage of them, but always have a goal. Okay, that's a great saying. I, I've never never heard of that that saying before. Well, thank you very much, Maurice. I really I love this chat. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. So thank you again. Thank you very much for giving me this opportunity. It was great also. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to subscribe to keep up to date with new episodes and feel free to leave me a review. See you next time.